remember we mentioned, oh, I don't remember the actual, exact episode, but we, we mentioned David Bohm and the Implicate Order. Yeah. I think it was one of the first ones we did. Well, there was a special celebration of the Dalai Lama's 85th birthday yesterday. Uh-huh. And, and this organization ran, they ran a movie that's just come out that's about uh, the life of David Bohm and his physics. And it's all about the implicate order and uh, physics uh, needing to be a discipline of wholeness. So anyway, it was, it was really interesting, and I was very happy that we, you, know, you, you and I had already kind of taken a gander down that territory. Yeah. Bohm was an interesting guy. Oh, it was a fabulous movie, and you can find it online. I think the title they were using is called Infinite Potential. Is it infinitepotential.com? Yeah. I think, I think, you know, we covered it. We covered the idea of the implicate order and the explicate order. Mm-hmm. And this whole point that beneath our, all the appearances or back and behind the universe of appearances is a fundamental reality. And he actually proved it with mathematics. I mean, it's so cool because in 1952, he wrote a paper about it. I was thinking about the word identity, you know. So there are a couple of ways of approaching what is identity. And, of course, one is to say there's a question, uh, which is, who am I? Yes. That's one way of asking the question, uh, which uh, because you're saying, who am I, you're approaching it from the field of what is my name, where am I from, how old am I, in terms of who am I. Those, those are the kinds of questions that you invo- invariably get involved in. And you may say, I am Alfred Hefferkamp. I am Texan Alfred Hefferkamp. I am Texan Protestant Alfred Hefferkamp, I'm Texan, Protestant, cute Al Hefferkamp. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm Texas, Protestant, and then you get involved in, because with all the phylogenetic and ontogenetic information, like I am unworthy in the eyes of my father, Alfred Hefferkamp. And so the who am I is basically a separative way of asking the question, what is my, what is my identity? Because who am I keeps giving me a more of a sense of individuality that inherently means a difference between I and somebody else who wasn't considered unworthy by their father or whatever. Yeah. There's another way, however, of asking the identity question, and that is, what am I? And in a way, the psychological approach to identity has had a lot to do with who am I. And the quantum approach to identity has had a lot to do with what am I? The, one of the, basic, the basic question of physics is, what's it made of? There was the driving idea behind, you know, physics and as far as Western rationalistic approach to science goes for hundreds of years. What's it made of? What's it about? What am I then? It becomes, what am I made of? What constitutes what I experience as myself? There's, a, I am an animal. I'm a mammal. Uh, I'm a, an organism put together with billions upon billions of cells. And my creation came about as a result of sperm and germ joining, then cells dividing, and, and, I, and I am a complex physical creature made up of bones and tissues and cells and blood and air. And then we have to ask the question, what is that made of? To, so we start getting down to, well, the tissue is made of atoms. And, and atoms create molecules. Molecules create the cells. So atoms, what, what's that made of? And you get into subatomics and you get into various other kinds of issues that in David Bohm's quantum world is basically approaching an implicate order. And finally, in, in asking the question, what is it made of, you get to, down to the, the point around which mind cannot get, which is it's, ex, it's existing, it's made of everything. And then those, that drives you into another realm of contemplating identity question, which is not 
narrowing down your sense of yourself in terms of differentiating you from somebody else, but rather the obvious result of this line of question of what am I is that your sense of identity is all-encompassing, and it is the same as everyone else's final identity. So it doesn't separate you off any of your uniqueness, but rather includes you in what is everything. That's quite a trip you just get, you just let us through. Yeah. I get it. I mean, it's. Uh, I think if, if you just ask people on the streets, you know, who are you or what are you, you know, you'd get answers like that. You say, well, some somebody who was deeply into biology or something would say, well, I'm a, I'm a mammal or I'm part yeah. of such and such branch of the hominid family, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And um, it's obviously not very satisfying to get answers like that. They, they don't do anything for you. Yeah. There's a lot of discussion during uh, about from the COVID crisis and what it's meant to us and the, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, which is part of the revealing process that, that COVID happens to be part of also. And both of those have been strong indicators that we need to re-identify and uh, that we need to operate like a different kind of you know creature on the planet. We need to re-identify ourselves. And that's all well and good. But to re-identify ourselves, we need to be able to first identify ourselves. And that's all wrapped up in a whole you know, hornet's nest of possible ways of looking at it, especially if you approach it from who am I? Because now you're one person caught up in this pandemic swirl and this worldwide movement of protest. And in the midst of all that, not very significant in terms of what you could, could do, what you, you have the possibility of doing. But from the point of view of what am I? And arriving at that which proves that you and everyone else is in fact the same in the sense of essence, in the sense of the final what that includes everything, that identity stands up bigger and taller in innumerable ways when dealing with something that basically is affecting that identity. It's worldwide. Everybody. Right. So re-identifying, if it's going to make any, if it's going to do any good, if it's going to have any effect on the world in general, it needs to come from that identity, which is intimately connected to the world in general by the very nature of its being, by the very nature of that which is animating me, regardless of who I think I am, or even what I think I am, what that which is animating me, and that which is animating everyone else must in fact be the same animating force. There's no, there's no way around it. But that being the case then, an answer coming out of that identity is an answer that can fit the infinite possibilities that an answer needs to be able to fit when you're considering a universal thing like a pandemic. Yeah, so what you're looking at there is the capacity of the receiving unit to be able to absorb a solution that's going to be completely outside of its preconceived ideas, preconceived yeah. conceptions of things. Right, <clears throat> exactly. And dialing that down to the nitty-gritty world, you know, one of the things that the pandemic has showed us is the effect of human interaction on the environment, which may not last us very much longer because of the way we, we treat it. That is our, our, our world, the place we find ourselves. But one of the things that the pandemic has shown us in terms of the environment of, of nature and one of the things that the protest movement has shown us in terms of the environment of other people is that there is a, a huge effect. And dialing it down further, how do we reduce carbon emissions from cars? Is this a new identity? You need to understand that it, it doesn't require a car to do its daily motions. How, how would I get along if tomorrow it was decided that I shouldn't have an automobile? How would I make that work? 
Well, it's a struggle, more of a struggle for some people than for others. But the point is, is that you can make it work. That's literally a worldwide problem. And it could be made to work as opposed to it's hopeless. We have, we have no option. Yeah. You got to have a car to get to work. And we can step back and say, no, that's not so. I mean, it might be painful to make a change, but I contend that that's slightly less painful than the die-off of every fish in the ocean, reducing our food source by 50% right hot quick. So we're being shown what must be done in terms of re-identification. And understanding what am I can show a person how to approach those universal questions in a way that who am I until the who am I and the what am I are drawn up to be the same thing, it, we won't get it figured out. Yeah. But I'm sure Bohm and others working in his neighborhood of quantum physics was well, well aware of the fact that when there is an, an incoherent or chaotic vibration happening at one level in the system and a coherent vibration is set into play in the midst of it, that it draws the incoherent vibration into coherence or... Mm-hmm. The more far-reaching, the more elegant, and the more coherent principle will literally draw the other parts of the seemingly scattered or chaotic picture into coherence. And that, that's what can happen. That's what can happen when, you're, when you operate from an infinite identity that can embrace all of the what seem like appearances of impossible requirements ahead of us. Yeah, I think maybe we should talk a little bit about what that means on a personal basis. Not not simply, can I get along without a car? But how does how do I manage to make that shift in my identity from something that is completely wedded? I mean, mm-hmm. and and it was a wedding that was um, you know you don't even remember the wedding night because you don't remember that it ever happened, but you're still married, <laughs> to, right? To this <laughs> to this state of mind where you have all of these presumptions about yourself. And the question of how you move from that to uh, understanding that there there's an opportunity, there's like daylight that you can get to that that can show you a way out of that situation into the kind of freedom that you're talking about, where where there's there's some there's some kind of choice involved, not just your automatic behavior. You're not just like uh, stuck yeah. in the movie that you that you were born into. Maybe it's a good way to put it. Yeah. And that involves some very serious question asking. I mean, there's there's the overall question of what am I or who am I? Either one followed to their proven conclusion, wind up at kind of the same place. But there's there are hard questions to ask at each level. You have to ask questions about the nature of this driven sense of self that I see myself as now. This is this that I is brought me to this place where. I am compelled by what I've accepted as my identity to act in ways that are anti the theory of making the changes we need to make. So we need to ask questions of that self. Why is that so? What what is what is the nature of again, whether who am I or what am I, what is the nature of my love what is my understanding of those at any given point? I consider myself unacceptable to my father. What is that? What is that sense of identity that I've conferred upon myself, which leaves me you know, shortchanged or leaves me in place of being a loser and losers can't fix the kind of problems we need to be able to fix. Where did that come from, that idea I have? So we need to examine the, our identity as we're experiencing it now, asking hard questions about that identity that seems to be driven with few, if any, po- options besides 
guy got to get a car to get to work. I'm thinking even applying my thought to a question as large as how do I respond to the crisis in the environment? Uh-huh. Even that is stepping away from my identity, which is basically um, how am I going to satisfy the, the desires that I have? Or if you get lower down the hierarchy, how am I going to make sure that there's enough food on the table for me and my family? Uh-huh. And that then that brings your question in again, the, what you said about the, the kind of identities that we get from our upbringing, you know, well, I never could satisfy the old man. I guess I'm a loser. Mm-hmm. And so you get stuck in a vicious cycle there where you never succeed. So I can see a real motivation for breaking out of that cycle if it means that I can find freedom. And if, if my finding freedom also allows me to make a contribution to the greater environmental problem, then it's much more palpable to me. Yeah. And not to, not to mention the fact that it, not only to the environmental problem, but greater contribution to the food on the table in front of my hungry son. Right, right. That's part of the environment that I'm working on here. That's inclusive in, the, in that consideration. But yes, it, it opens a completely different set of potentials. Obviously one that is not limited by thinking I'm a loser, but rather is not limited, period. And then making that contribution, that involves taking an action, obviously. An action that comes out of this sense of identity is part of what must happen. And this sense of identity that isn't a loser, doesn't see loser, that doesn't identify as loser, whereas the loser in taking action would, in accordance with what it's made, what's built up of, would have to make a losing effort in something. Right. Because that's who I'm married to. Yes, yes. That's who I woke up married to, so to speak. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what am I that doesn't know loser? That is, real, that is animating me, despite the appearance, or despite an understanding of identity getting bent out of shape somewhere along the way, that, that which is under and back of that is not a loser. That which is under and back of that is not a loser because loser cannot be the nature of that which is under and back and, and where I live, move, and have my being, ultimately. And that sense of self is unlimited and limited by any of that, doesn't recognize that. Now, what might come out of that sense of identity? Well, most of course, we we don't know really. This is like you know, we're it's like yeah, Moses got everybody to the wilderness, but now what the hell do we do? I've never <laughs> been here before. I've never been here before. <laughs> yeah. So that's a place where accepting identity is is literally a shock, or a, uh, it, it can be interpreted as a destruction of the old identity. Right. And the unconscious, being the stubborn little sob that it is, can throw up monkey wrenches to try and protects itself. But in, in the face of a proven sense of self that does not see the loser, there's nothing there to protect. There's the option, the, the possibility of a completely different contribution, a completely different effort coming out of that identity. And predicting what we would like that effort to be has got its own built-in short circuit because of trying to predict what the answer should be is relying on that old identity because that's all we've got to predict with. Right. When we're looking at something that is literally unpredictable, then we just have to let it be that, let it be unpredictable, which for a lot of these sacred identities of ours is also anathema, and that I just have to let go of the concept I've had of myself for so long. For what? I know. I don't know what. For what? Well, yeah, you know, the the story goes, of course, that, um, you know, they, they, they got delivered out of Egypt, and they're, they're maybe even made it past the Red Sea, and they're 
over wandering around in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's there's reports that there's a whole bunch of people who are saying, look, you know, it really wasn't that bad back in Egypt. Mm. You know, at least we had, it was a hovel, but at least we had a house and we had to slave all day, but at least, you know, that was familiar and there we were. Yeah. You know, so there is, even in the story, it's, it's, um, it's laid out the kind of attitudes that we bring to our own transformation. Yeah. Yeah. One of the attitudes we bring is, you know, the uncertainty that the wilderness may hold is uh, there are those days when we wake up and say, well, you know, the misery that I lived with before, at least it's familiar. I can count on it. Who knows? This unpredictable wilderness may be worse. The part of what makes it the wilderness is the guide, the guideposts aren't there. And boy, you want a guidepost when you're, when you're thrashing around in an infinite world of possibilities and you don't know what's going to show itself. Yeah, so there's this um, this question of identity that that has to do with what we think of ourselves as our identity and then our true identity, which is what we've been going on about here, that the true identity that is true of every single person, uniquely and significantly, every single person uniquely being an yeah. individuation of infinite being. Yeah. And that identity, um, I, I mentioned this to somebody the other day, you know, that identity is um, that identity is not afraid of disease. It's not afraid of something like COVID. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you're stupid. Right. It doesn't, <laughs> right. It doesn't mean that you think to yourself, well, God will protect me from COVID. So let's all get together and have a big choir mm -hmm. practice. Right. Let's, just, let's, let's deny the existence of what's right in front of us. So. I, I mentioned to my sister when I was talking to her about this, I said, you know, the divine reality of life and of being includes medical science. Mm -hmm. So there's no contradiction here. You can live yeah. in a complete state of freedom from fear about it. And if you pay attention and mind your P's and Q's, you can walk right through the thing. But if you feel like you've got something to prove, well, you're just going to end up in a mess, I think. Yeah, you don't say, well, truth is all there is, so I'm going to throw away my medications, never see the doctor again, because I'm truth anyway. As you said, that's just uh, that's just plain stupid, because it's excluding the doctor from your truth. Yeah, yeah. What am I? Who am I? Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, what are you? Who are you in engaging with anybody else? Because if that which animates me is animating you, then when I meet you, and, and for the first time, for the hundredth time, I'm meeting myself essentially meeting myself. And that means the point of effect, the point of power in this is, in fact, my consciousness, my beingness. Yeah, you know, when you say you, you're meeting yourself, I think that's a really powerful in, insight <clears throat> perception of understanding the, the actual infinity of, of this identity that we're talking about. So we've been talking about an identity that's boundless, and the way that you see that is by looking around and realizing that every person in your consciousness is that identity, and that is a, a wildly diverse yeah. um, display of infinite variety. Yeah, That's the self we're talking about. Yeah, And uh, the thing that used to thrill me the most was, was um, when I was living in a place where they had a beautiful night sky, I could go out and look up into the stars. And I could see the incredible infinity of all that, all of those points of light, you know, in their order, mm -hmm. their constant order that doesn't change, at least in, in not at a rate that we can see anyway. And getting a sense that is me. 
that is the identity that I am is that. Hmm. And getting a getting a gander at that identity is a real thrill. Yeah. 